Welcome to the Full Fact Podcast, where we fight bad information one fact at a time. I'm Alexis Conrad, and on this episode, we'll be discussing fact-checking around the world. We know misinformation is not unique to the United Kingdom. The popularization of the term fake news in the US is evidence enough of that. But what makes British misinformation British? What false claims are popular here? Why does bad information manifest differently from country to country? And what can we learn from fact-checkers across the globe? Now, before we welcome our guests from around the world, I'm joined by Full Fact Editor Tom Phillips. Tom, what's the misinformation situation like in Europe? There's quite a lot of it. And the thing about it is that it very often crosses borders. It spreads from country to country. We collaborated with a group of other fact-checking organisations in France, Germany, Italy and Spain to look at what we all saw during sort of the months of March and April this year as the pandemic was sweeping across Europe. And we found that there were really common patterns across the misinformation that we saw from country to country. So similar kind of ideas about false cures, the idea that the virus was man-made, specific rumours around that, the 5G conspiracy theories, we saw those spreading. And we saw some really specific things spreading from country to country. There's one incredible example of this rumour about helicopters spraying disinfectant upon the the city below. 11.40pm, five helicopters will appear overhead and they will spray disinfectant onto the city below and you need to be inside at this point because otherwise if you get caught outside then it's going to be terrible for you. But your roof is definitely not going to get any COVID infections. It's, yeah, why would disinfect? I guess it maybe came from this sort of uh, images of like people disinfecting streets in like sort of Iran in the early days but the weird thing about this is that this started as far as we can tell in Italy in March and within a space of about two weeks it had spread all around the globe globe. It was being used in Latin America and in Europe and in Africa and in Asia and like sort of translated into local languages with like the logos of like local police forces and military on it. And like this entire thing happened in the space of about two weeks, normally keeping those sort of crucial elements the same. So like it was almost always 11.40pm or midnight and it was always almost always five helicopters. It's really strange the way that this just exploded across the globe in that kind of way. Is there a trend? Can you see a pattern where if one story starts in one country, then you know where it's going to go to next? Or is it fairly random? It can be very hard to predict that kind of thing. I mean, there were things that we saw that we were going, oh, that's actually unique to a couple of countries. Like this, uh, there was a rumour that people were going around handing out toxic masks door to door that would like knock you out when you put them on and then you'd, they'd rob you. We saw that in Germany and in Spain. And at the time we wrote the report, we'd be like, that hasn't reached the UK. Then it reached the UK like about a month later. It's very hard to tell and it's very hard to predict. But the thing we do know is that the idea that misinformation will just stick easily within national borders, that's not the case anymore. It almost always spreads internationally. And that's why international fact checkers are going to have to work together more and more in the future if we're going to tackle this. Okay, well, well, uh, let's move across continents now. And we speak to Olivia Saw, who is the Director of Impact and New Initiatives at the fact-checking organisation Chequiado in Argentina. Now, Olivia, who decided, right, we really need a fact-checking organisation and why? So the story of Chequiado is we started in 2010 and there were very few fact-checking organisations back there. One of our big inspirations was factcheck.org in the US and PolitiFact and a few others that were working back then. And the situation in Argentina was there was a very big conflict between the government and some of the biggest media organizations. 
and it had become very hard to actually get the facts right. So if you were with the government, everything the media said was not true. If you were against the government, everything the media said was true and what the government said was not true. So it had become very hard to actually get the bare facts about what was happening right. And you need to read a few newspapers to kind of have an average at the end of what was happening. And also the institute that does the public statistics had been intervened and some of the data that they were producing was not reliable. So it was a very complicated situation in terms of accessing good information if you wanted to be an involved citizen in public discussion. And how easy is fact-checking in Argentina? When you have to delve into facts and figures that have been printed by the government or the Ministry of Defence or the Ministry of Health, is it easy for you guys to access those figures? I imagine it's harder than in the UK, but that's just a supposition. There's not as much public information as you would hope there'd be. Changes in government mean also that there's changes in the way that information is being presented, that some statistics are, are being shown and how they're being, the methodology behind them. And that's a big problem for us. When you do fact-checking, you need both reliable data, which sometimes is a problem in Argentina, and sometimes there's no reliable data on a subject. And in that case, our work is to say, we actually cannot say what's happening with this phenomenon because there's not enough information. It happened to us, for example, with criminal statistics. In between 2009 and 2015, there were no criminal statistics. So whoever was saying that the crime was going up or that the crime was going down, what we could seriously say was, we actually do not know. And so our work in that case was just to be transparent about the information there is and the information that is not available and how we can interpret that to know what's actually happening and in what cases we cannot make a clear statement on if criminality is going up or down. If it's any consolation, it's not that much clearer in the UK. We may be able to get hold of the figures, but only because you mentioned crime. In the UK, we have two ways of measuring crime. So the frustration is that one politician can say crime is going up, referring to one of the, to the survey, for example. And the other politician will say crime is going down, referring to a different way that we count crime, which is the crime reported. So I think the frustrations must be universal for fact checkers. What what frustrates you guys over there most? Is it that people cherry picking facts or is it people just simply getting their facts completely wrong and refusing to change their mind? I would say there's a third problem that's actually quite hard for us is that you need you actually need people to use facts in the first place so that you can fact check them. Right. Okay. It depends a lot on how a politician decides to intervene in the, dis in the public discourse and if they decide to do it more through emotional discourse or more, short, more on, based on data. And so when they're based on data, we can start discussing if they're using right data or not or what the data actually says on the subject. Our biggest problem is when people decide not to use data and then we can't even fact check them and we have to find other strategies to be able to see if what they're saying coincides with, with the information we have without being able to do an actual fact check of what they're saying. We have to kind of go into much more elaborate strategies to be able to see if what they're saying matches what's happening. Are there stories that are particularly prevalent in South America, in Argentina? Are you dealing, for example, with uh, the universal issues of anti-vax stories, conspiracy theories, particularly, I suppose, around the coronavirus? 
what are the themes that you generally see come round again and again? Yeah, so the, the coronavirus experience, as horrible as, as it has been, is actually quite interesting from a fact-checking point of view. And as you say, a lot of what circulates is the same that has circulated in other countries. So we've been doing a lot of work with all the other Latin American fact-checker organizations, and we've put together a database where we put all the fact-checks and all the debunking we do so that others can use it and be quicker when they have to debunk that rumor when it arrives into their country. In some cases, it's actually quite amazing. For example, there's the conspiracy theory that links 5G to coronavirus, and that has arrived in Latin America. It arrived in Argentina. And what's most amazing to me about that is that there is no 5G in Argentina. Right. You have quite high figures of coronavirus and you have no 5G. So it's quite puzzling, really, when, when you look at it in detail, how international this misinformation and disinformation is and how it adapts to each local country with a few differences. But it's kind of the same things that are circulating and that are being taken from other countries. And what about social media? In the UK, and, and having spent so much time around full fact, we, we see that, yes, politicians and newspapers will sometimes um, get their facts wrong accidentally or will cherry-pick some information in order to make their point. But certainly some of the... <sighs> Some of the craziest stories and conspiracy theories that we see will come from social media. What's the landscape of misinformation in Argentina? Where do you see it sort of really taking hold and spread it? Is it the same as the UK? Is it, is it social media that's been the main culprit? I think, as you say, there's some similarities in the kind of the wildest theories appear in social media. And there's probably an enormous number of conspiracy theories or just simple misinformation on subjects that can be a result of ignorance or of putting together two things that don't really go together or other, other kind of phenomena. And that we see a lot on social media. But it's also true that a lot of that misinformation or disinformation that circulates on social media sometimes stays in quite small groups. So there's a lot of it and there's a big variety of it, but it stays in kind of small groups. And in some cases it does get to be very viral and reach other people. And of course, during coronavirus, with the amount of uncertainty that was around and the changes that were happening all the time on the information, that was a much bigger phenomenon. But it's also true that sometimes somewhat marginal theories that circulate on social media actually get much more attention when they're picked up by traditional media. And we had a big case here in Argentina. There's this theory that says that there's a, a, a chemical component, it's called dioxido de cloro, I'm not sure what the name is in English, and that if you drink that, you could cure yourself from coronavirus. And it has absolutely no evidence that it could cure anything, and it's actually quite harmful to people. And that was circulating as a viral disinformation for quite some time. And then television presenter took that disinformation to t open television and actually drank it online or said she was drinking it online. Oh, gosh. And after that, we had some reports of people who died from drinking it, thinking that it could cure them from coronavirus. So the disinformation spread online quite a lot, but it kind of got to massive levels when it was picked up by more traditional media and more traditional actors in the public discourse. 
So I think it is true that a lot of the, the conspiracy theories and the disinformation circulates online, but then it gets amplified by more traditional actors that are very dangerous because they reach a much broader audience than the groups would reach on social media. Have you had a, a retraction from that presenter? Has there been a, 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 an apology? Has this gone away or are people still in the corners of the internet saying, no, I think it's true? I don't think we'll manage to convince everyone who thinks that's true that it's not. And it's a very big problem here. There's been some presentations in front of authorities to get her to retract and to, to change what she said. But I think in those cases, it's also the case that kind of the harm is done. Yeah. And it, even if she said it, she didn't mean it, it's hard to unconvince people from something that they already think is true. And since it's also kind of in a conspiracy framework, they might think that she was pressured into giving an apology, yeah. but she doesn't really mean it. She knows that this right. chemical component is good and she's just being pressured by pharmaceuticals or by the government or the kind of obscure forces that are changing her discourse. So it's very hard in those cases to unconvince people of things once they're quite convinced that that will work. And what about the language barrier? Do YouTube videos containing disinformation get imported into Argentina? I mean, are they translated or subtitled? Or do you have native Spanish language videos that happen to contain the same misinformation? I think you have part of both. You have part of, of things that do circulate in English, and then you have things that are produced um, by other people here in Spanish. And I'm sure we also have original misinformation and disinformation that didn't necessarily circulate in English and was originally created mm. here and in other parts of Latin America and is also being spread around. In your years of fact-checking, what have been some of the most memorable stories that you've had to look into? There's one that was quite shocking in Argentina. The government that was until 2015, the figures for poverty were distorted, so they were not reliable. And mm. at that time, one of the members of government said, well, actually, if you look at the numbers, Argentina has less poverty than Germany. And that was kind of one of those moments where you say, do we really have to fact check this? <laughs> Is it really necessary to say that Argentina has a lot more poverty than Germany? But then just because of that phrase, that seems completely absurd. We had to spend a few hours looking into the German Statistic Institute and understanding what's the measurement of poverty in Germany. And of course, what happens in that case and happens a lot of times is that the way you measure poverty in both countries is completely different. So it doesn't really yeah. matter what number you come out with. In Germany, you're measuring relative poverty. So you're measuring how much less than the average people are making, or you're measuring absolute poverty with very high standards for what Argentina is measuring. So they're measuring if you have enough money to face an emergency or if you have enough money to heat your house. Whereas in Argentina, you just have a monetary measure of how much money you need to buy your basic food and services, which is a much lower standard. So, of course, the numbers might be similar, but they don't mean at all the same thing. And to come to that conclusion, it was hours of looking through data and talking with experts to be able to say categorically, this has absolute no basis, it's completely false, there is no more poverty in Germany than there is in Argentina. Something that I think anyone would look at and go, really? This cannot be true. What about some really kind of, you know, strange, ridiculous ones? Have you ever had to deal with any of those? 
Yes, and we've we've had lots of those with coronavirus, unfortunately. Um, some that say that if you eat garlic, you will not get coronavirus. If you drink coffee or, or if you drink tea and lots of things that I would wish were true, but are just kind of not at all based on, on evidence or based on, on any kind of sound science. It happens all the time that you get very strange disinformations. And before coronavirus, what were the stories that you were mainly dealing with? Was it uh, to do with uh, government figures, for example? Or was it still, is, is health one of the big parts of misinformation that you deal with in Argentina? So 2019 was an electoral year in Argentina, and that meant that a lot of the disinformation that was circulating was centered on, on political figures. And there weren't from very bizarre things like slowing down a video to making a, a minister look like if she was drunk in the video, to right. inventing illness and saying that the candidate had a, had a very complicated illness and that actually all this was a plan that he would die and he would leave his vice president in charge and all the rest. That sounds familiar. I think, I think that's, that kind of uh, story is making its way over to the uh, American presidential election at the moment concerning Joe yeah. Biden. So it's all these stories that keep coming back again. So you were dealing with that kind of misinformation around elections. Yeah, we, we had a lot of misinformation around elections. But there's always a part that's on health. So we had very dangerous misinformations last year and the year before about what you should do if you have a stroke and misinformations that said if you have a stroke, what you should do is pinch your fingers so that they bleed a, a little bit and that would decompress the blood and that would be okay, which is incredibly dangerous because what you need if you're having a stroke is get to hospital as quickly as possible and don't start pinching people's fingers. So we've always had some portion of health misinformation and disinformation. And do you find you're able to sort of bat it down, bat it away quickly? Are you able to see the impact or does it sort of continue and have its natural cycle? I think it depends a lot on the cases. For example, the one that's related to vaccines, where there's groups that have a very strong conviction. It's very hard to convince them, even if you present all the facts and all the information. We're working on presenting them in the best possible way and being empathetic in the way you present the information and seriously understanding of where these beliefs come from and what fears there are behind it so that we can actually address those fears also and not just say oh no this is based on science you have no idea but actually kind of fully understand why some people have such a big fear of this kind of interventions or vaccines and so in those cases it's very hard to actually say okay we've done we've done our fact check our work is done everyone now knows that vaccines work that's it it doesn't really work that way in that kind of subjects on other subjects, it does seem to have a much bigger effect on stopping the spread of misinformation. So, for example, during the presidential debate last year that said that one of the candidates had an earpiece and that he was receiving instructions while he was talking. That old chestnut. Yes. Yeah. We have kind of the same all around, don't we? I mean, what's your view? Why do you think these stories always come around and they're not original stories and I mean it's not a surprise misinformation and fake news have been around for hundreds of years but why do you think people still believe in them? Uh, it, is a, it is an enormous question and one I wish I had a good answer for because that would make our work much easier if we could understand all the underlying kind of psychological process that goes into believing that kind of thing. 
thinking about the particular example of this candidate supposedly having an earpiece, everyone who's against him and who thinks he's actually not that smart and that he must be getting help, uh, when you say he has an earpiece, you go, ah, I knew it. I knew he was not able to do that whole speech by himself because he's stupid. Of course he is. And so it kind of reaffirms what we already knew. You're, you're kind of justifying your biases. It's, it's sort of stories that reinforce your biased beliefs, I guess. And it kind of reassures you in what you already thought. And it's kind of, yes, I right. knew this is the way it was. And I knew this was going to happen. And I knew he wasn't smart enough. I mean, that's just one example. But I think in, in a lot of cases, in general, we're very quick to jump to conclusions. And we're used to thinking that way and to kind of seeing two things and, and trying to link the cause between one and the other and think that they're related and it's kind of all these tendencies we have to be able to function in society and to make quick decisions when we have to play against us when there's actually bad actors producing disinformation. And also, I think the reason they've been around for so long is that they work. Yeah. And so <laughs> maybe it's the disinformation on the earpiece happened first in another country and then they saw that that actually worked. So then they take it and use it here and then they take it and use it in the UK and then they take it and use it in the US and they, and it kind of it goes around because it works and there's not much to lose. If people don't believe it, well, it'll, it'll just stay there. But if they do believe it, maybe you'll harm a bit your opponent candidate. Finally, Olivia, I want to talk about the future. When you uh, are thinking about the future of fact-checking, the future of misinformation, do you lie in bed awake at night worrying about it? Or do you sleep well and think, well, we've got this under control? <laughs> Happily, I sleep well, but I'm not sure it's because fact-checking is all that well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you see the actual, the current situation and you see the amount of disinformation that's circulating and people who are actually believing it and passing it on, you get quite desperate. But then when you want to look at the bright side, as a society, we're much more conscious now than we were three or four years ago on the dangers of disinformation and misinformation. And I think people have a much higher degree of conscience of don't believe anything you see. And disinformation spreads a lot on WhatsApp which is particularly hard for us because we cannot monitor it because it's a private chat application. But I think that people have become much more conscious that if you receive something on WhatsApp with all caps and giving you an enormous scoop that's nowhere else in the, on the internet or in other media, yeah. maybe you should not trust it that much. And I think there's more of more of that. And I think there's an enormous work to do on critical thinking and on understanding what sources are reliable and which are not and how to evaluate uh, a content before you pass it on or before you believe it but I think we're better now and we have much more tools to fight it than we did four or five years ago I don't think it's going to disappear I think we're going to have to learn to kind of manage it but I do think that we are much better prepared and as societies we're much more aware of its existence and its dangers. Olivia it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you thank you so much for giving us your time. Now, Tom, since we recorded this interview, another earpiece myth has popped up, this time in North America during the presidential debates. Uh, but of course, North America is no stranger to fake news. Now, I know that I'm probably going to get my wrist slapped for using the words fake news on a full fact podcast, because full fact doesn't like to say the words fake news. Why is that? It's, we think if it ever had a meaning, 
then it's completely lost that meaning. So it, when it was first popularized back in 2016 due to Craig Silverman's articles, it was actually meant fully fake news. These were websites that masqueraded as news sites, but they completely made stuff up and it was just to drive like clicks to get advertising money. These were the outlandish stories of... Pope of, endorses uh, Donald Trump, that kind of stuff. Yes. Lots of it based in Macedonia for some weird reason. Of course, very quickly after that, the term fake news started to be used to mean any accurate news that a politician doesn't like. And so the use of the term fake news has just become so contested, so controversial and so skewed by its its use for propaganda that we just prefer to avoid it completely and talk about misinformation or bad information or false information and just stay out of the whole fake news debate entirely. Yes, it is a phrase that is is not used uh, by full fact. And I I get slapped on the wrist every time it slips out accidentally. Uh, Now, uh, we also spoke to David Ajikobi, uh, the Nigerian editor of Africa Check, uh, another non-profit fact-checking organisation. And he told us how dangerous misinformation about vaccines inspired their foundation. In 2012, misinformation and disinformation was actually a very critical factor in the vaccine uptake, particularly in northern Nigeria. And then it led to a lot of people actually boycotting it and then it affected their life outcomes and health outcomes. And then, you know, fast forward to now, Africa including Nigeria, has been declared polio-free. So we think that's one of the successes uh, that, you know, if you give people the right information, people will make the right decisions and their lives will be better for it. So David counts Nigeria being designated polio-free as one of Africa Czech's successes. Tom, pressure's on you now. I don't suppose you've got a success story at full fact that can compete with that, can it? I I don't think I can quite compete with that. You know, we're proud of some things we've done, but... That probably wins. That's uh, very humble of you there, (laughs) Tom. Uh, Now, there are over 500 native languages spoken in Nigeria. So how does David make sure the right information reaches the people that need it? What we do is to actually translate them into Pidgin. So Pidgin is like the leveling language. The richest man in Nigeria can speak Pidgin. The poorest man in Nigeria can speak. So Pidgin is very successful. And we also do it in Hausa. We do it in Igbo and we do it in Yoruba when we have to. Because it's very important that if you speak the language of people, it might be easier for them to believe you. And we think that is much, much, much more useful than just having only our content in English. How's your Welsh, Tom? It's, it's, it's not great. It's, 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 it's not great. My, my Scots is also terrible. Um, yeah, I'm not really good. Cornish. <laughs> completely other story now now we've had some bizarre claims in the uk over the years but what's the most bizarre fact check africa check have had to do this year the most bizarre that i've had this year i would say i found ridiculous but at the same time if we did not fact check it it could actually escalate into something because you have the fact checker can say oh why would anybody believe this but people do believe it and i'll give you the context so there was a particular female religious preacher and if you understand how big religion is in Nigeria, she was speaking to her followers and said that if you consume ascorbic acid with um, the Atlantic mackerel, which we call uh, Titus fish in Nigeria, you can never make heaven. But because it's coming from a religious leader and because of the hope that religion gives about, oh, I want to make heaven, you can think about how many people would have boycotted or stopped taking anything with um, ascorbic acid, you know, whatever it is. And, it, and those, that can have health implications itself. 
So while it sounded ridiculous to me, well, me and to a few other people, we saw that it could have potentially injurious or harmful effects. That sounds a bit mad, but not as mad as this claim. Nigerians were told, including religious leaders, to bathe with salt and water so as not to contact the Ebola virus. Bathe in salt water to avoid contracting the Ebola virus. Has that claim made its way over here to the UK, Tom? It has not. I'm I'm a bit glad about that. But here's a claim that we definitely have seen in the UK. A popular Nigerian pastor who went on satellite TV to establish a link between 4G and coronavirus. Of course, that is there's there's no scientific evidence linking those two. And the pastor was actually trending so much online in Nigeria. Ofcom had to sanction him. You know, of course, there was no sanction for him in Nigeria. And then we saw that in some parts of the world, people actually attacked 5G installations because of certain people tweeting a causation between or a correlation between 5G and coronavirus. But is David optimistic for what the future of fact-checking brings? It's a problem that will stay with us as long as humans continue to interact and interact the way they do. But I think that we will have, in the future, we'll have more armies, and more tools and more ammunition to fight it. We are also training journalists and the public to actually be fact-checkers, to be critical thinkers. Because we think that the solution is that if we have more people doing that, then it reduces the number of people believing these things. So I think that this information would um, be around for a while, as long as human beings continue to interact. But I think there will be more people and more armies and we'll stand a fighting chance of actually reducing it in years to come. Thanks to David and Olivia and, of course, uh, you, Tom. And, of course, thank you for listening to the Full Fact podcast. Now, this episode was released on the 12th of October 2020. And at the time of recording, Africa Czech and Chequedo uh, were both non-profit organisations covering South Africa, Kenya, Nigeria and Senegal and Argentina, respectively. David and Olivia are experts in their field, but their views are not necessarily a reflection of Full Facts. Full Fact is an independent and impartial service and you can read more about our commitment to neutrality at fullfact.org forward slash about. As a fact-checking charity, we depend on your support to call out false and harmful information. If you enjoyed this episode, become a supporter today at fullfact.org slash donate.